0: But right now, what do you say we talk sports in the ozone? The ozone brought to you by allied scrap processors of Lakeland. And now, the guys who spent all day trying to figure out who in the world ordered the statewide power wash and blow dry Ronnie O and Coach Joe.
1: All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the ozone, taking names and kicking posteriors. Give us a call, 682 1430. That's 682 1430. Or if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. I would like to say tomorrow is Veterans Day. Of course, we want to honor those who have made this country possible and have defended our freedoms here and abroad. And, uh, would like to invite everyone. The Rotary Clubs in Lakeland put on a breakfast every year for the veterans, and that's going to be tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. It'll be held at Heritage Baptist Church, 4202 Pipkin Creek Road. Ten dollars for civilians, free to veterans. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. And we got a lot of football coming up this weekend. Florida State's going to be at Syracuse in what used to be the Carrier Dome, which is odd because Carrier is an air conditioning company, and it is not air conditioned. And that's going to be at 8 o'clock. That's the kickoff, 6 p.m. pregame, right here on WLKF. And the Gators are going to host South Carolina at 4 o'clock. That's the kickoff, 1 o'clock, pregame. That'll be on WNN 107.1, 1230 a.m., and then Sunday morning—yes, I said morning—the Bucks are going to host the Seahawks in Munich at 9:30 a.m. That's the kickoff. 1:30 pregame. Coach Joe, you're going to go over. You're going Eric going to fly you over on his Learjet to the <laughs> Munich game.
2: Yeah, that's what uh, Eric said. Something about uh, visa problems or something like that. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> he said I, he said I could go. Well, I he said, no, m- I didn't visa or Mastercard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's sort of that's sort of a problem. Visa, he has visa, both, visa, you know, visa. platinum version and all that special special card that nobody else has. It gets him everywhere. <laughs> he, it, you know, Eric's amazing, you know, because uh, with with all this weather and stuff, uh, you know, he 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 calls me, uh, you know, today and says. Uh, you know, what time you What time you being here tonight? And I, and I said, Eric, he says, there's a big storm out, and he, and he said, I didn't I didn't ask for a weather report. I said, what time <laughs> are you being here tonight? He's and a said, slave driver, and I said, How am I gonna drive in this weather? Next thing I know, there's a knock at the door. And and I looked and I honestly thought that these were fictional things, but it turns out they're real. Eric has his own army of winged monkeys, and they, yeah, they're surprisingly good at navigating through bad weather. And they carried me here tonight. And uh, are they got, giving got me a, a ride home later? On Got a good deal on them. Got a good deal. This old lady had them. <laughs> are they giving me a ride home later? <laughs> no. Oh man, <laughs> I'm gonna need a ride home later. Oh man. <laughs> well,
1: quite a weekend last weekend for Florida football teams everybody won except Miami of course they were playing FSU so one team had to lose and they got crushed
2: right yeah they they right from the beginning that game was was never an issue it's interesting they had Tyler Van Dyke in there he's he'd been out hurt it's clearly clear that he was suffering from some sort of injury he was in a lot of pain they kept him out there probably a lot longer than they should have and they were they were helpless they gave up a long touchdown pass Oh, I think on the third or fourth play of the game, uh, their defense continues to be atrocious. And now without Tyler Van Dyke, they were helpless. And they're an underdog this week at Georgia Tech. That's how bad things are Oh, my gosh. Now,
1: that's when you know you're pretty bad, oh, is yeah. if you're an yeah. underdog to Georgia Tech. <laughs>
2: my goodness. Hey, Georgia I mean, Tech is, is fired passing a coach. the U.M. right now. now. Now, a lot of people say, give it time. And and uh, Mario Cristobal has said, uh, you know, it's all part of the process. It's going to be Okay. And, and it's his first year, but they have just nosedived, and uh, they're they're hurting a lot. they are still recruiting well, uh, but we'll we'll have to see what you know what's going to go what's going to happen there because a lot of people are unhappy, and and I've always wondered about the long term viability of Miami if they can sustain the kind of uh trajectory they need to have a, a elite program year after year if they have the resources down there to do that they they sh- they spent almost everything they had to get Krista ball so uh, there are a lot of questions there we'll have to see how it well, turns Tyler out Tyler Van Dyke
1: I mean there were people saying you know this guy might not win the Heisman but he's going to be in New York and you know this guy's going to do this he's going to do that and you know even before he got hurt he wasn't playing all that well was he
2: no, nah, he he was uh, regressing, but he had his moments. And just when you thought he was terrible, he had a great game against North Carolina that, that sort of uh, got him back, you because know, he had been benched before that. And then he came back and reasserted himself there, but then he got hurt. So uh, And they've been awful offensively since then. They did not have a touchdown against Virginia. They did not have a touchdown against FSU. So they've gone a long time without reaching the end zone.
1: I'll well, tell you, I went out to the Texas A&M-Florida game And Texas A&M, I've been out there twice. And those fans are far and away the nicest fans of any fan, any stadium. I've been to every SEC stadium, and they are far and away the nicest. You know, you walk by and they say, welcome to Aggieland. Would you like a drink? Do you need directions? There's really nice people. And uh, even after the game, nobody was nasty. Just a really good group of people.
2: Well, congratulations. Well done on your trip, very successful yeah. road trip. It's always good to see the Gators hadn't won a conference road game in almost two years, so that was, uh, it's not a small thing. I think uh, some, sometimes we forget just how far the Gators have fallen, and uh, the, the climb back now, it's in, in these incremental steps. Uh, I have always heard good things about them. I was in Texas a few months ago, but not not for football, so, but I didn't get over to College Station. I was, I was in Austin. Uh, the, the, uh, Atmosphere looked pretty pretty good. I know both teams are not in the mix in the hunt, but it, it, uh, the counselor said it was sort of a bellwether game to see where both programs were. And Texas A&M, uh, we talked about questions. You know, Billy Napier's trying to rebuild something. Jimbo Fisher is well into a rebuild, and yet they've taken this giant step backward. And I know they've had some injuries and they had some uh, some flu issues this past week, and and uh, but— uh, I don't see a ton of talent there, especially at, at wide receiver. I, I I love David A-Chain. He's an amazing running oh, back. yeah, he is. Uh, but that <laughs> offense is really stagnated. They've only gotten over 24 points one time, and that was uh, against Ole Miss the week before the Gators, the, and the Gators held them to 24 as well. So a lot of questions there.
1: No doubt about it. Well – we have Holly Kane, our NASCAR guru, coming up.
2: Yeah. And
1: uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have Holly Kane. You're listening to Ronnie O. and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Robert Wall from HBO's Harless and 60-Minute Sports. And you're listening to Ronnie Ocean
0: in the Ozone. Ronnie O., Coach Joe, in the Ozone. The Ozone brought to you by Allied scrap processors turning scrap metal into cash.
1: All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. And with us is the lady who knows all, sees all when it comes to NASCAR, Holly Kane. Holly, welcome back to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe.
3: How are you, gentlemen? Thanks for having me.
1: We're doing just fantastic. Holly, first I've got to ask you about the Ross Chastain move. You know, we we had him on the show, and I mean, it was like I watched it, and it was like, "Come on, somebody speeded up the video." He it looks like he's going eighty miles an hour, and the other guys are sitting still. Tell, had you ever seen anything like that?
3: Not in my thirty-two years of covering the sport, or in all the other years of research prior to that. So, and and you know, that's what the drivers were saying too—that it was absolutely unbelievable and I don't know if either of you've had a chance but there's some really good um board, you know where you can hear the radio of the guys he's getting around like Chase Elliott Denny Hamlin and they can't believe what's going on and it's really <laughs> funny to go back and listen to that in real time and I I talked to obviously it was still kind of the big subject uh even heading into the championship race a week ago and everyone was asking him and he said I, I don't know I just He said it was not planned. It was something he just did. He got lucky that the wall at Martinsville was the way it was, so there wasn't something sticking out. It wasn't uneven. I mean, he, you know, it, it might not have ended up that way, but it did end up that way, and he got the race for a championship.
1: Now, how did you describe that
3: when you wrote about it? Well, I basically described it as it looked like he was turning right into the wall and scraped. And used the wall as a buffer the whole way, at, you know, to the finish line. It was, it, it was, and that's what he said. He was literally turning the steering wheel towards the wall and floored it. And as you guys probably know, he set a track record doing that. <laughs> and that track is like sixty something years old. It was amazing.
1: <laughs> Holly, how long before NASCAR outlaws that?
3: I don't know. I, I. I spoke with the president, uh, Steve Phelps, and the vice president, Steve O'Donnell, who handled those kind of calls. And, and they tended to feel like, what can you outlaw with that? You know, I mean, it was something so random. And who's to say anyone else can do that exact same thing? However, I will tell you that a lot of Ross's competitors want, want it outlawed or want something written about it um, to, to make it an illegal move. It, they were really in the moment they thought wow and then upon further reflection they're like how does that happen and and some of them thought maybe NASCAR should have thrown a caution flag before the checkered flag because a lot of times when you see a car in the wall there is a caution flag flown and instead he drove <laughs> half a mile or you know less than half a mile the track's only a half mile but you know went at least two corners like that so i it, it was definitely talked about but i don't know what NASCAR could legitimately do because it's such an odd, random thing.
2: Yeah, by the time they noticed that that he had done it, there would, they, he was across the finish line. There wasn't enough time to, to do a caution, exactly. really. Exactly. Uh, it was estimated that Ross Chastain that final half lap was going fifty miles an hour faster than the other cars, <laughs> which is uh, unbelievable. It just reminds me of you know watching Ronnie drive home on the way to the studio. <laughs> How fast Get out of you? my way! <laughs> yeah, don't want to... but but uh, Holly, it doesn't seem like a a law. Them, what are you going to outlaw, racing real fast? I mean, the, the, the thing to do for me, and you know, I thought about this, and in Phoenix they talked about this, I don't know if it was Jeff Gordon or whatever, on the telecast when they were wondering if Ross Chastain was going to try a similar move to catch the leader, who I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, but uh, they pointed out that the, the way the walls are shaped made the move ineffective. So right. it seems like technologically that's the best way to prevent that move. It would be to, you know, the design of the track, right?
3: Well, and, you know, the design of the track is already the design of the track. You know, nothing's going to be changed to prevent the Ross Chastain move. It just happened to work the way things were at Martinsville. But, yes, I mean, even Ross said he would never try it at Phoenix, you know, that that was was not – would not work there. And I think he's kind of under the impression that it worked once and maybe not pushes luck with it.
2: <laughs> well, it it has its it has its risks obviously, but it was an incredible yeah. move and it enabled Ross Chastain to make it into the championship four to be eligible for the Cup Championship. Uh, along with uh, Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, and, of course, the person who eventually won the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, uh, the winner of the race in Phoenix and the winner of the Cup Series Championship for the year. Uh, Who was that, Holly?
3: Um, Let's see. It's Joey Logano.
2: (laughs) Hey, my man! All right! (laughs) We didn't know Eric was going to do that. We never talked about that prior to the show. Well, we need to go to commercial now. No, we don't. We need to stay here and talk about Joey Logano and the greatness that is Joey Logano and his second NASCAR C- Cup Series championship. Should have had three, I agree with him about 2020, but uh, we're not here. To, we're not here to reminisce about that. We're here to talk about 2022. 22 in 22. It started in the LA Memorial Coliseum on the uh, on the stadium track, which is one of the coolest things I ever saw. You and I talked about that on the show previously, and then in Phoenix. He was, as they said on TV, these are the words of the commentators, not me. He was the class of the field all day long.
3: He really was. I mean, he. I mean, I, I guess maybe saying he ran away with it might be too strong, but it it did seem like that. Uh, he was he was definitely the top car, and the only other guy that I felt like would have really challenged him was his Penske Racing teammate Ryan Blaney, and uh, he was able to hold him off. So. In the end, you know, Joey really brought it. And he's the most veteran of those four. And, you know, something I thought was interesting, he's now only the second active driver that has more than one uh, NASCAR Cup championship, which, if you think about it, all these years we're used to there being so many in the field. And now, really, it's just Kyle Busch and Joey Logano are the only two people that are actively – well, I shouldn't say that. Jimmy Johnson is coming back for a few races, and he's got seven titles. But – Full-time drivers, Joey Logano and Kyle Busch are the only with multiple titles.
1: Holly, another tragedy for the Joe Gibbs family. Um, yeah. Do we know yet what happened to uh, Coy Gibbs?
3: I have not seen. Um, I have not received word specifically outlining what it was, but it was just heartbreaking. I mean, we were interviewing him the night after his son Ty won the championship. And I specifically asked him a question towards the end of his press conference, just telling him to step away from being a team owner. But as a father, how proud it made him to see his son win it after, you know, a very uh, embattled week for the young guy. He's 20 years old, um, didn't make a lot of friends racing this year, but won the <laughs> championship. So, but, you know, seeing, seeing uh, Coy there and, and he was really super proud of his son. And then to think, my goodness, only hours later, he passed away in his sleep. It was so unsettling and so tragic. And so now, you know, coach Gibbs, Joe Gibbs has lost both of his children and both of them at the same age, 49 years old. His um, son died a couple of years ago, JD, uh, and he was only 49 years old. So it's really tragic and, and so sad.
2: You know, Holly, with all that going on, uh, Christopher Bell really acquitted himself well the past few weeks, hasn't he?
3: He he has, and I'll tell you, he handled himself very well on Sunday. I mean, Christopher Bell is still a young guy, right, in his early 20s, and um, that's a lot to ask to get that news literally as they are getting ready to go out and race in the championship race. And uh, I thought he handled it so well. All of those guys did. It was just really surreal to have— that going on that was so sad at the very moment that, you know, such happiness and potential and, and things could be happening in a championship race. So it was, it was a tough day.
2: Uh, Holly, you, you uh, made a reference there to Jimmy Johnson. And I wanted to ask you about that. He is coming back to race at Daytona in, in February. Uh, what are his plans co- co- going forward next year?
3: Well, he hasn't said exactly what all he's going to do, but he is now a co team owner with Richard Petty, which is pretty amazing. Two of the three, uh, seven time champions in the sport. The third, obviously being the late Dale Earnhardt, but Jimmy has bought into the team that's owned by Richard Petty and Mari Gallagher, who owns uh, the Allegiant airlines, which you've probably heard of. And, uh, He is super excited to get in there. He's got young drivers and Eric Jones and Noah Gregson is moving into the other car and then they're going to field a third car for uh, Jimmy Johnson at at certain races. And, you know, it's going to be weird because he's not going to be in the number 48, which he was his entire uh, NASCAR Cup Series career.
1: Holly, what changes do you see for NASCAR in the coming year?
3: Well, I know they're doing some work with the car, obviously, and they've They've really announced they're doing some things on the rear part of the car to try and help with some of the impact and the crashes. We've seen drivers hurt this year uh, in in ways that we haven't in the past. And keep in mind, this is the first year of this new car. So they, they are working on it. They've been hard at work, actually. They've had all sorts of test sessions, and they've got a plan, it sounds like, to really go forward with that. The other big thing to me that happened uh, this year in NASCAR that we're going to see is the communication between the sanctioning body and the drivers uh, had gotten to a point where the drivers felt like, hey, what about us? And NASCAR responded and said, you know, you are our sport. And so they have been meeting literally on a weekly basis. They were meeting, and I know they will over the course of the off season, And I expect that to continue next year, too, so that drivers can talk about their concerns. And so I think those were positive things uh, to come out of this season.
2: Well, Holly, one more question before we have to get going. Uh, Kurt Busch, he's, he's resi- retiring or he's resigning. What is, what's the story there?
3: Well, he's, he's retiring from full-time racing. And um, I think that he would really like to just have one more start. Nobody wants to go out with an injury in any sport. And so I think he is still working on healing enough, that he could get in the car and make one more start. Where that would be, I don't know. I think the Daytona 500 is a is a great you know idea, but I don't know is he going to be ready in time for that. So he he's certainly around the paddock and uh, is is a great resource to a lot of these young drivers. So I think he will be around, and I would not be surprised if he at least competes in one more race and kind of has that celebrated goodbye that you know a former champion, former Daytona 500 winner deserves.
2: Well, Holly, uh, Joey Logano is the best driver in NASCAR, That's and wrong. Holly Kane is the best writer in NASCAR. And uh, we we uh, braved the storm to uh, come here tonight just so we could have a chance to talk to you about it. And thanks for joining us on the show. Everything okay at your place?
3: Yeah, but we did all right, and I hope it's the same for you, too.
2: Oh yeah, we're yeah. I think we're fine uh, over here, and Eric's p- uh, palace is just fine. No worries there. <laughs> but thanks for joining us on the ozone tonight, Holly. It's been a terrific NASCAR season. And we yeah, I'm excited already for uh, 2023. And just remember, and Ross and Joey both need to know this. They are the two drivers that uh, that we hype the most here, and they are the two best in NASCAR right now. So you, you want to remind them about that, that and remind Ross that that he was nobody until he started coming on our show. <laughs>
3: I will. Remember- Remind them of that. I'm going to see them at the awards banquet here in a couple weeks. So I will I will remind them of that. They, they appreciate it, I'm sure. <laughs> well,
1: thank you so much, Holly. Always a pleasure to have you on, and um, we look forward to having you on again next season.
3: I look forward to it. Thank you guys so much, and have a wonderful holiday season.
1: You do the same. Thanks, Holly. All right. Ronnie O and Coach Joe, Talk Radio 96.7
0: WLKF. <clears throat> All set to talk some more sports. These guys are raring to go. Ronnie O, Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone is brought to you tonight by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash.
1: All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back again. Coach Joe, the college football poll. Georgia first, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Georgia's got Mississippi State. They're at Starkville, and then they're at Lexington, and then they're home to Georgia Tech. Um,
2: You see any potential roadblocks there? Well, it's never easy to go to Starkville, and they're not a bad team, and they play much better at home than on the road. So Georgia will have to be ready. I think they'll be okay, but remember, when you're playing an SEC team on the road like Mississippi State, it will be a test. Don't be surprised if, if Georgia doesn't run away and hide like they've done against almost everybody else, including uh, Tennessee last week, which who they beat handily. But at Mississippi State, if they win easily, then they're going to win the conference and they're going to be in the playoff, and they might be the best team out there. Uh, Ohio State, after the difficult win at Penn State – People look at the game against Northwestern, and they wonder what went wrong. Well, I was watching some of that game, and it was just horrible weather. And the wind was howling, so it made passing and kicking almost impossible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw the warm-ups, and the guy's kicking like a 25-yard field goal, and it blew it back
2: yeah, in so, his face. So that was a that was a grudge match rock fight, and uh, Ohio State, just they just kept plugging away, and eventually— they wore Northwestern out, but it took until the end to do it. But uh, that's just a game where you just keep your composure and your wits about you. Ohio State did just fine. They really actually were more impressive the week before when they had to rally in the fourth quarter to win at Penn State. Not easy to do. So I, I think Ohio State is going to be fine. Everybody likes Michigan. Every time Michigan plays, they seem to get better. Uh, the game's in Columbus. One of them's going to win. One of them's going to lose. And the question now with Tennessee losing so badly to Georgia would be Is the loser of Michigan-Ohio State still going to be in the playoff if the winner goes on to win the Big Ten? So that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. And the other thing, TCU, I've been watching them week after week. They just get better and better. They are really – they're the real thing. They're the real deal.
1: They are, but they are at Texas. I think Texas beats them this weekend. And then they're at Baylor. They're home to Iowa State. That's how they close out. Now, you just – inadvertently skipped right down to Ohio State and Michigan as well you should. Yeah. The Big 10 is not very good. They've got Indiana and they're at Maryland.
2: Yeah, they're they're going to win those. So, yeah, <laughs> they're,
1: they're going to win those without a doubt. Now, Clemson and everybody's writing them off. They got one loss, but a bad loss. I mean, Notre Dame clocked them. They took them apart. They did. Yeah. They've got Louisville at home, Miami at home, and then they're at Southern or USC East. And in yeah. Tennessee, now they've got Missouri. They're at South Carolina and at Vanderbilt. The Vanderbilt game will be like a Tennessee home game. They will have far more fans there. Now here's Oregon. <clears throat> a lot of people are forgiving Oregon's 49-3 loss. I still saw it. I can't <laughs> unsee what I saw. Now they've got Washington, which could give them a problem. They're at home. They get Utah at home. And then <clears throat> nobody ever thinks about Oregon State. But that is always the Civil War, they call it, and that's always a tight game.
2: Well, Oregon State's a good team. And it's at Corvallis. Yeah, and they're and they're a good team. It will be a tough game, and then they'd have to win the big uh, the Pac-12 title, which would probably be against, I guess, USC. So I, I think the thing is Oregon. I don't talk about them much, and the 49 to three loss against uh, Georgia in the first game is bad. We've seen teams. Overcome a bad first game loss in the past, but I think the problem with Oregon is I don't think they're going to run the table, uh, and that's uh, that's why uh, that's why, as good as they've looked, I I didn't mention them. The other thing is if it does come down to say say TCU loses along the way and drops off, and then you you get down to Tennessee winning out, and say Oregon does win out, and you've got to decide which team with the one loss to Georgia. <laughs> One bad loss to Georgia. Each team has. Which one do you pick to go in the playoff in that situation?
1: Well, now here's two other one-loss teams: Southern Cal. They've got Colorado at UCLA, which will be a test, and Notre Dame. We don't know how good Notre Dame will be, but it's it's on the coast. All right, then you got North Carolina. They're at Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, and NC where, State.
2: Where are they placed in the rankings now? They were 17 they They're like fifteenth. Now they're I think. up to fifteenth. Yeah, and what's what's their one loss? Notre Dame. So uh, uh, you had both Clemson—well, I guess Clemson and North Carolina will sort that out between the two of them. So that's something that's going to give there uh, as far as that goes among the one-loss teams. But if you're talking about just the one-loss teams, I think you're right about USC. If they run that table with what they have left and win the Pac-12, they have a significant strong argument over, say, the loser of Michigan-Ohio State. So And, and, you know, to me, you should always give the preference to the conference champion. But it's going to be an issue, especially if Michigan-Ohio State's a good game, a close game. It's going to be an issue over whether or not both of those teams should make it. In the SEC, I think Georgia's going to be—it looks good for LSU to win the West. It's it's possible for Alabama to still win the West, but it would have to be a weird set of of circumstances. In fact, if LSU beats Arkansas this week— then Alabama eliminates itself by winning, losing as well. But they eliminate themselves either with a win or a loss. So a win by LSU at Arkansas on Saturday would basically eliminate Alabama. So, and Alabama's not getting in with two losses and, and not a division title. I don't think LSU, unless they win the conference – get in as a two-loss team or would they be a three-loss team obviously if they didn't win the conference but i think if they beat georgia yeah the the committee would be more inclined to put georgia in the playoffs than they would <laughs> than they would lsu unless lsu just really ran away from them and which is not so happen. well no two-loss
1: teams ever gotten in well a two-loss lsu team did win a national championship <laughs> right yeah they before did before <laughs> the the 14
2: playoff. Yeah, yeah, that was back when they did things a little bit differently now, but you've listed so many one-loss teams that are as deserving if not more so than than LSU. Uh and would you put a two-loss LSU team in over Tennessee which has one loss and beat LSU in crushed Baton Rouge them. 40 to 13. Yeah. <laughs> so they they crushed him. So yeah, that look, things like that happen as long as there's this 14 playoff <laughs> because if somebody's already pointed out, if there was a 12-team playoff this year, you'd have some amazing first-round matchups, you know, going oh, yeah. on right now. Yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, LSU and anybody, they're playing really well right now. Oh, LSU. You know, the last couple of weeks, uh, or this past weekend alone with LSU beating Alabama, and by the way, that was an epic game. Uh, it was one of the best games I've ever seen. It was really incredible. And with what Georgia's doing, it puts a whole new light on how the Gators have played in the last couple of weeks prior to this Texas A&M game. And all of a sudden, the you know we thought, why, how are they so getting beat up by these teams? Well, it's because LSU and Georgia are both incredibly good. Yeah. That's why. So, so uh, the Gators actually look better than we realize, and I think the win against Texas A&M helps show that. But. That LSU Alabama game, Ronnie, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it while you're out at Texas good. It was it, it was absolutely amazing and I was talking, I think it was to a counselor a week or so ago. Uh, we were talking about how uh, FSU beat uh, LSU in the first game when the blocked extra point. I thought in that game they should have gone for two as well. Then they scored yeah, on the I last agree. play of the game and I think I think one of the reasons they went for two against Alabama was they learned from that, you I, know. I think they were right. Yeah. I think those two things were related without a doubt. Um, well,
1: a lot, a lot of good stuff to come up. And like you said, a lot of that's going to take care of itself. Well, on this date in 1992, Kevin Joseph Aloysius Connors passed away. You might know him better as Chuck Connors, the rifleman. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now, why are we talking about that on a sports show? Because
2: he He was an athlete.
1: Yes, he was. He played first base for the Dodgers and the Cubs. And he also was on the Boston Celtics in the NBA. And on this date in 1998, Hal Newhouser, who was one of the great pitchers in all-time baseball history, he actually won the Triple Crown of pitching in 1945 with the Tigers. He tried to join the military, but he had a heart arrhythmia. Mm. And so he he couldn't play. He couldn't go. And he's the only pitcher ever win consecutive most valuable player awards how about that and on this date in 1930 gene conley was born gene conley was on the show a couple times before we were able to bring you aboard when you know eric clark foundation came up with (laughs) a few million for us to bring you on board and well, I was too young back. You know when you <laughs> your first kind of coming. Well, those child labor laws.
2: <laughs> at, at, uh, you know, getting away.
0: Why am I always getting in trouble over this? <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> what size orange jumpsuit
1: do you wear? <laughs> um, Gene Conley was on the show. He's the only player in Major League history and NBA history to have played on a championship team in baseball and basketball. He was a pitcher on the 57 Braves that beat the Yankees and then he was on the Celtics in 59, 60 and 61. He died in 2017 at 87. Well, he he was a fun guy. He was a great guy
2: to have on here. He, I wish you could have met him he, he was really awesome well one person I did get to talk to Ronnie thanks to you and uh, you weren't here last week and when he and he uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago that's Vince Dooley you know we, uh, we, it, it's one of the great things is getting a chance to talk to guys like this guys we rooted against and you yeah. find out how wonderful they are and uh, I know that that he was a good guy and that struck us both uh, when when that happened. Yeah, he was a really great guy.
1: We'll we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF.
0: Hello, I'm Ken Riley, former of the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean, and you are now in the Ozone. The Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. Let's do it, Ronnie O. All right, the late,
1: great Ken Riley. Man, what a great guy. I sure hope he gets into the... NFL Hall of Fame, he's certainly deserving. Well, I know right now you're sitting there, you're saying, hey, 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 you forgot the sports quiz. We're hungry. We're thirsty. You forgot the sports quiz. Oh, my goodness. We did not forget. So, if you know the answer and you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Got a real easy one for you. You could win a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House if you haven't won in the last six months. Who was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' first coach? Was it A, Lehman Bennett, B, Ray Perkins, C, Bear Bryant, or D, John McKay? The alehouse, House, of course, is located at 5650 South Florida Avenue. They've got 40 strategically located television sets, and you can watch your favorite sporting event from anywhere in the restaurant and have drink and meal specials every night of the week, and that $30 will go a long way out there. Coach Joe and I go out there
2: frequently, and Jorge and the staff will take care of you. Right, Coach Joe? Oh, they sure will. And if you want to see the Bucks game Sunday morning, they open at 11, so uh, the game will be on. So you might have to see the first half at home, but uh, but then hustle over there to the Ale House. Not only uh, will the Bucks game be on in the morning, uh, once they open up at 11. But also, of course, you stick around for the 1 o'clock games so with all those strategically located TVs. Even when they have eight or nine games in the 1 o'clock slot, I can see them all. I, I'll sit there, and, and the TVs are positioned in a way. There, there could be seven, eight one o'clock games, and they're all on right there in front of me. And, and they take such great care of, of you there. It's an amazing place.
1: Exactly. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Come on now. This, I know we've got a very intelligent audience, and this is an easy one. Who was the Buccaneers' first head football coach? Was they, it Le- Lehman Bennett, Ray Perkins, Bear Bryant, or John McKay? Six- they,
2: they asked that coach uh, what he thought of the team's execution that first season, and he said he was in favor of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: He had some great ones. I'll tell you what. He was one of the funniest guys that, that really dry, sarcastic sense of humor. He was hilarious. I think maybe my one of my favorites was that I think it was um, Bill Capice was a kicker from Florida State that they had. and So coaches do this at, at every level. They'll come out and say, all right, if you hit this 50-yard field goal, nobody has to run after practice. If you miss it, everybody has to run after practice but you. So <laughs> he's standing there, and Capice says, Coach said, "You make me nervous
2: standing there."
1: He said, "Well, that's going to be a problem because I plan to be at every game." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, remember when he decided that Capice wasn't going to be his kicker oh, anymore? Oh yeah, <laughs> Capice is kaput. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> he actually said that. The the coach in question here, uh, and you know, he he took the Bucks from absolutely uh, I, I mind-numbingly awful to the NFC Championship game in just four seasons. So yeah. he, he did a really good job. Uh, but that, that, that task aged him a bunch, so he only lasted another season or so after that, I think. <laughs> yeah, you can't really blame him.
1: They, they were so bad. Oh, my goodness, they were bad. But um, give us a call, 682-1430. All we want to know is who was the Bucks' first head football coach. You know this, 682-1430. We've basically given it away. His son later became the general manager. His son was a wide receiver on that first team, if I remember right. Lee McGriff was on that team, and Steve Spurrier was the first quarterback
2: of the Buccaneers. And, boy, did he take a beating. Leroy Selman, their very first draft choice, was on that team. Uh, It was uh, uh, an amazing time. You know, it's Tampa getting a team, first off, was huge. And the fans were an amazing support of it, even though it was – Near the end of their second season, before they got their first win after losing the first 26 games in a row, which, by the way, 26, is, 26 losses matches the uh, 30 game record that Jeff Scott produced at USF. <laughs> they lost bad to Temple over the weekend. We were talking about Miami's problems. USF's problems run very deep, and without them getting adopted into one of the major conferences, and yet they have a stadium to, that they're trying to build. And after 30 games, only winning four of them and only one win against a, a Division One opponent, uh, it was really the end of the line for Jeff Scott, which I feel bad about because I, I liked him, but uh, I don't know what to say. It just wasn't working out. Yeah, he seemed like a nice guy. See,
1: I don't know him, never met him, but he seemed like he was kind of meek, and uh, maybe that's it. And you brought up a great point that some guys are good assistants, but they can't handle all the responsibilities of being a head coach because there's so much more to it. You can't just coach football.
2: Yeah, you really are, are running an organization, and so a lot of it is about surrounding yourself with the right people uh, to allow you to do what you do, and some guys just have a knack for it, and other guys are great coaches, and they're, some are great recruiters, but it's really three things you have to be able to do. You have to know your X's and O's because that allows you to hire the right people. You have to be a great recruiter, you're the face of the program but you also have to be good at running the program so if you' if you're weak in one of those areas chances of you being successful are, are really slim slim at that point I tell you what folks come on now I have faith in you
1: this is so easy 6821430 the Bucks first head coach all right you know it wasn't bear Bryant so there's three choices left John McKay Lehman Bennett or Ray Perkins again, John McKay, Lehman Bennett, or Ray Perkins. We'll hang around for just a minute. We're almost out of time, but we will hang in here. Um, we can. I don't know if we can afford Eric Clark being on overtime, but we will try. Um, I don't know, Joe. Can you look in the seat cushions? And it's near the,
2: the end of the year. We're really hurting budget-wise. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe. Maybe Michaeline's got a few million in her pocket that. She doesn't need because um, that's what it would take for Eric to be here for another 15 minutes of overtime. <laughs> but we'll be back next week. Ronnie O. and Coach Joe in the ozone.